Hello, and welcome to this edition of Spotlight. I'll be your host, Rogan, and if this is your first time checking out Spotlight, this is an offshoot of the Prognotes podcast, where we chat with some incredible artists and musicians in the progressive rock scene. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you to all of the Prognotes patrons for helping these episodes happen. Uh, check out what the benefits are of becoming a patron at patreon.com prognotes. Today's special guest is Vikram Shankar uh, to talk about Silent Sky's sophomore album, Nectar. Uh, it's great to have you on, Vikram. Thanks a lot, man. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, would you care to tell us a bit about yourself before we begin? Sure. Uh, like you said, name's Vikram Shankar. I'm the piano player of Silent Skies, a group that has existed now for, I guess we're going on five years, about to release our second album, and, you know, Really great to be here talking about this music, chatting with some great people. So thanks for having awesome. me. Awesome. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for coming on. Uh, why don't we start with the story of how this duo project came to be? Sure thing. Um, as, as backstory, I have been doing these, I guess, rock metal songs on piano these arrangements for at least 10 years now. It's kind of the first thing that I did to quote unquote put myself out there. And I played a couple Evergrey songs back in the day, as it were. And I guess Tom saw some of these performances and I guess when he watched me play his music, he realized that I understood it on a deeper level than maybe some people who cover his music because I understood, I guess, the the storytelling that he was trying to achieve and the emotions underlying the notes and the harmonies going on, and we had very similar senses of phrasing and taste and all these things. So he decided that it would be a good idea to reach out to me and ask completely out of the blue if we should make an album together, which was a no-brainer for me because you know huh. I've, loved, I've loved Tom's voice for so long. and. It was not the kind of offer that I ever thought I would be getting in this lifetime, so... Like, no, that that seems Let's wild. dive into like, it, right? Yeah. It seems like a bit of fate, like, involved that Tom, like, saw your video and, like, had that interaction with it. And... Yeah, I mean, he and he views it the same way. That, that it, was, it was very much a kind of a fate thing, because I don't think when he watched me in 2014 playing the song Missing You on my you know, college practice piano <laughs> that would lead into two albums and, a, you know, I play with him in Redemption too. We do video game music together. It's like he's become this great, you know, musical better half that I, that I, you know, never knew that I needed, but most certainly did because he definitely brings out the best in me. Awesome. So what is it like not only to be recognized by someone who had such an impact on you when you were younger, but now like get to work with him in a professional setting? You know, it's it's way cooler than I thought it would be because I when I was first working on Silent Skies with Tom, there was, I think, understandably a little bit of like an intimidation factor because I I was a college kid at the time and I had never done anything anybody of note much less tom freaking england you know but <laughs> but you know having worked with him for a few years now and we've played a few shows together with redemption and we've spent time and what what he's become more than anything else is a really 
close friend and a mentor and someone who, you know, the, the things that, that we do together in silent skies, it's like you know, silent skies is only part of the picture because, you know, we, we end up influencing each other musically in a lot of ways that are, you know, go beyond just making these albums together. So it's, it's a much more beautiful synergistic thing than I thought it would be because I kind of had this idea that the guy who's been making albums for as long as I've been alive is going to like, you know, tell me what he needs done and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be like mm-hmm. his lackey and it's going to be great. But but it ended up being a lot more than that. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, it does seem like even just reading the press release that you guys have this sort of connection through through this project and, and like really understand like the themes you're trying to present and, and work together on that. Yeah, exactly. It's like we don't really have to talk about things like that. We just kind of make our music and, you know, we have such similar tastes and we have such similar things that not only things that we love, but also similar ways to get there. So it's like when we write songs, you know, there's none of this horrible second guessing and, you know, you write something and you you believe in it 150% and then your bandmate says it's trash and then, you know, you're Mm -hmm. in a funk for a week. There's none of that because if one of us believes in something, our tastes are so similar that chances are we're both going to believe in it. So, you know, I think that's partially why we're able to work so quickly as well because, you know, we just do what, do what we love and, and that's the end of it. All right. Well, what I've primarily seen people describe you as is like a a classical pianist. So, uh, like branching into this world of uh, like more like metal and and uh, and this rock. Like, where did that come from? What came first? I guess is what I'm asking. Is were you more classical focused, or have you already always had like a love for like rock and metal, and then that has um, evolved? Yeah, I actually didn't listen to anything that wasn't classical music until I was like 12 or 13. And I started playing when I was around five. So everything that I was doing, and I built my fundamentals purely as a classical musician. And then I discovered rock music and then metal music. But simultaneously, I fell in love with bebop and modal jazz and jazz fusion. And shortly thereafter, electronic music. And so what happened is that I started with this classical framework and then all these other things, you know, get added into the equation, but everything kind of gets filtered in some way through the heritage that I have as a classical and then a jazz musician. So when I play metal with Redemption, I don't think I necessarily view the metal the same way that maybe someone who's only listened to metal their whole life would view it. And Silent Skies is the same way because I'm playing classical music, but now I'm playing classical music that's played by somebody who's loved metal for so many years. So what happens with me is that I have so much genre ADHD that it's like (laughs) if I'm going to be playing one genre, another genre is going to creep into it. Like when I was studying Bartok and Stravinsky, in high school, it's like I'd start playing Bartok with like so much aggression as though I was, you know, playing a a periphery breakdown or something, but it was Bartok. So, so all these, all genres always kind of feed into each other when I'm playing. And I think 
while it leads to a certain amount of, like I said, genre ADHD and maybe a little bit of decision paralysis when I'm writing, I really wouldn't have it any other way because it's just other tools in the toolbox. That does seem like all the best music sort of crosses boundaries and genres and stuff, and, and you want to take uh, from like some of the best of all places. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to be inspired by good music. And you don't, you don't, you don't need to put up a wall and say, I'm only going to be inspired by good music within, you know, a certain arena. You might as well trust your ear. And if your ear hears something, whether it's, you know, Kendrick Lamar or Slayer or, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like, if you hear something that you like, you should stop and say, Hey, why, why do I like this? Maybe there's something I can learn from it. So I, I've always been that way. And frankly, I'm a little envious of people who aren't that way because I feel like, if you only liked one genre, you know, your life as an artist would be a lot easier because you'd pretty much just be following the playbook the whole time. But for better or for worse, I can't really do that. Now, you both have said that you think of Silent Skies as still capturing the essence of heavy metal, but possibly more reflective and delicate. Um, I'm curious to hear some more of your insight behind this as on first listen, they seem like entirely different universes. Yeah. Yeah, um, when I first fell in love with metal music, I think I fell in love with metal music for a very similar reason to a lot of other metalheads, whether they think about it this way or not. And that is that metal wears its emotions on its sleeve. And whatever emotion metal is expressing, whether it's chaos or joy and happiness or something very cerebral or you know whatever the case may be or something very despondent it's always done very very vividly emotion to me in almost all metal that i've ever loved emotion seems to very much kind of rule the day and whatever the band ends up doing is in some way informed by or in service of conveying this emotion and so silent skies is very similar in that we are very, very focused on presenting a certain type of emotional vibe and a character and a melancholy and, and all these kind of things that I think if you were a fan of Catatonia or to name two bands I see behind you, Leprous and Anathema, uh, yes. you, know, you know, then you understand that, you know, you know what it means to hear melancholy in music. And so if you're a fan of these bands, then I think when you listen to Silent Skies, you can hear that the same melancholy is there, the same darkness, the same brooding energy. It's just that there are no distorted guitars and no double bass drums or anything, but the same essential emotional characteristic is still there. Mm -hmm. How do you think Tom felt initially stepping into this very different style of music? Like, did it take him a bit to settle into the way that he should present his voice on this project compared to, like, the power metal that he's used to? Yeah, I mean, I I, I hesitate to completely speak for him, but, but I do know that he, he wanted to explore a slightly different side of his voice. I don't think he ever went into this thinking that he was going to be bellowing at full velocity at any point. Mm -hmm. But just like the the band as a whole, you know, we, we needed to figure out what it meant to make the music that we make because we went into it with the notion of 
we're gonna make cinematic music with vocals and then we stop and say okay so so what is what does that actually mean to make cinematic music with vocals we couldn't really go to spotify and say hey check check out this song we should make we should make music like this we should replicate this because there wasn't really anything that was had the character of some of the more contemplative modern classical uh film and tv scores that we love but also had the structure of a song with you know immediate successful hooks but also you know not too obvious and still having a certain amount of cerebral quality to it so we had to figure out how to balance all these things and in the same way i think tom had to figure out how to balance his voice which is very unique and if you hear it you know it's him but also try to say something a little bit different something that he hasn't really gotten the chance to explore in the last 20 25 years that he's been making music so i i know it was a challenge but an exciting one for him yeah because like from what i've heard of evergrey like a lot of it is that he's just like uh like belting those notes into the microphone and and it's it's very like powerful and like uh in and sort of in your face but then taking this approach like this album feels like so light and airy which is like really it has its own power in like the baritone voice that he has like where where he's sort of like up in like a whispery voice like in his head voice and stuff power can manifest in many ways and uh, you don't need to be either singing as loud as you can or playing as loud as you can or playing as fast as you can to achieve something powerful so i think with silent skies we we have a certain amount of minimalism in our sound but you know just as people did in classical music for well over half a century now minimalism can express some very very profound and powerful things if you you know it's a matter of picking the right notes if you're only going to play three notes instead of three thousand they better be the best three notes you can play. So I guess that's how we approach everything we do. Mm-hmm. That sort of jumps ahead to a question that I had near the end, uh, but maybe I'll, I'll touch on that now. So sure. I've done a bit of research into the Japanese concept of ma, which is like the space between, and I've noticed that you aren't afraid to really take your time, like building layers or to really pull back or to like stall a bit before the next track starts which really reminds me of that concept. So I was curious what your thoughts are on the use of space in album composition and structure. I mean, it's crucial. I I think it's crucial in all music. I don't think it's only crucial in minimal music or music that is quieter on the dynamic range. I think even the heaviest of heavy breakdowns that I've ever heard hit harder maybe because there's a gap somewhere and then you, mm-hmm. you're waiting and then all of a sudden they give you the release that you've been waiting for. And this sense of, it's like radical dynamics and, and I love that because, you know, music is not just notes. It's, it's you know, music is notes interspaced throughout time. And so how you interspace things is really where the magic lies because, you know, the notes all occurring at the same time or just in sequence is is not how we experience music it's temporal so i always think of music that way and i think i got that from my classical training because you know classical music is very rarely played to click 
And so mm -hmm. you're always thinking about the give and take in the time, and you're always thinking about the rubato and where, where do you pull back? Where do you suspend in midair? Where do you push forward? And you're able to play with the time in a way that you can't in a lot of modern music, which is very, you know, scripted to the click, which there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with being scripted to the click. But if you're going to do that, you have to still be able to, in some other way, cultivate this sense of time and ebb and flow and give and take. And it's kind of, I guess it's minimalism lends itself to that because if you're only playing a certain amount of notes you know, per second or something, then you have to space them out in such a way to have the maximum impact. So yeah. I guess that's always important to me whether I'm thinking about it or not. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot as well. Like I'm, uh, a, I'm trained as a classical guitarist, so okay. I have sort of that background as well um but uh like it, it it you can express yourself a whole lot more through like how you make use of like drawing out specific notes or exactly. uh like the 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 phrasing the line that you do like how long it takes you to get to the climax of that specific line and then fall back down uh but it seems like in a lot of like the modern western culture as you were saying like we're almost afraid of using space uh like it always has to be like build 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 get to that climax and then you can like draw off i mean that's that's modern life too right it, yeah we're afraid of space and so I, and so i think that the more that we can you know embrace space and embrace the dynamics that leads to a lot healthier and more balanced of a life which is you know an ongoing struggle for us all but mm -hmm. all right well most groups start the album with the title track it seems but you all have have it like dead last and it is also the only instrumental on the album so is there a, a reasoning behind this there's something that we really enjoy in the flow of an album to end it with an instrumental because even if lyrics are not strictly literal as you know even if there's room to interpretation there's still a certain amount of the lyricist telling the audience or at least guiding them on how they should feel while listening to the music and maybe what they should what they should think of as they listen instrumental music is completely devoid of that so what it ends up doing if you position an instrumental track last in an album is it allows the listener to reflect on what they've just listened to and really opens the floor to allow them to really think and feel about whatever is closest to them and what is inspiring them in a more free way than maybe they could if they were listening to a song with lyrics and the lyrics are kind of saying this is about this you know instrumental music can be about anything that the listener perceives and so I've always loved instrumental music for that reason. And that's why instrumentals on this album and the last Silent, Al Silent Skies album as well play an important role. What is uh, the like writing and recording process like for you as an international group? We never write in person. I mean, the first time we ever wrote anything in person was last month I was in Sweden and it was nothing to do with Silent Skies. It was a video game score, but we realized working together for the first time in four years was like oh wow we actually this is actually way more efficient but we've we've done the past two albums virtually um we did satellites by trading mp3s via email and 
That is a, a very cumbersome process because if you're going to do anything, say you take a chance and you, you do something a little bit experimental, you can't really effectively explain it to the other party. You know, mm -hmm. like, hey, this is what I was trying to go for with this. You know, maybe they'll listen to it and they're not really in the proper state of mind to receive it because you send it and then they listen a few hours later because we also have the time difference as well. So it was just a cumbersome, laborious process in general. And we got to the finish line, but it took a year and a half to finish that album. And we did Nectar in a few months because Zoom came into our lives and oh, kind yes. of became the defining experience of the last year was spending four hours on Zoom every day for three months together. So... Mm -hmm. <laughs> The way, the way we would write is things would start with some kind of, usually in some kind of instrumental sketch. Maybe it's like a um, minute and a half to two minute solo piano piece or something. And then we'd together we'd refine it. Tom would add some vocals and we'd go back and forth. He'd add vocals and it would inspire me to do something with maybe the synthesizer or a, a 808 beat or something. And then that would inspire him to add some subsequent vocals. And so we just went back and forth like that. And we did so much on Zoom, which is important because if I was sitting in the studio and I said, I want to try adding a Moog bass line here. Uh -huh. What we would have done on the last album is I would have said, okay, I'll, I'll put that together. I'll email it to you. You can check it out tomorrow. And then what we did on this album is I said, okay, I'll walk over there and I'll play it and I'll, you can check it out in five minutes. And so we'd listen five minutes later and we'd say, okay, this is really cool. Maybe we should change this one note or maybe it can stop here and start here. And we were able to refine the experimentations to make them work a lot better than on the first album where maybe a lot of experiments didn't make the cut because we weren't able to refine them to the same degree. So mm -hmm. as a result, the album has a lot more different colors, especially different sonic palette elements than the first album did because we were able to try all these things and I was able to experiment with the analog synthesizers a little bit more and you know we were able to say okay this this is cool let's let's make it work and work on it together in real time so I mean really the album as it sounds is a direct result of the workflow uh, on a similar note, you've said that you used your childhood piano for recording this album. Uh, do you think adding that bit of nostalgia had a significant impact on how the recordings turned out? Yeah, I mean, first of all, working in a home studio is great because you don't have the, the time pressure or anything like that. But like you said, uh, the symbolism of it was, was not lost on me because it's the piano that I studied on when I... Like I said, I, I was playing classical music until a certain point, and I was learning on that piano. But I've never had a chance to use it on like a real album of mine. Is Maybe the sound wasn't right or, or whatever the case may be. But it just worked right on this album. It was the most convenient acoustic piano I had available to me, but it also happened to be the right one. And of course, I went through and... I took the trouble of manually felting it, so I, I laid these strips of felt underneath the strings, which is not easy, like, a lot harder than I thought, no. to get these strips of felt in between the hammers and the 
strings. Very popular sound in modern minimal classical music. It really softens the touch and it makes the dynamic range smaller, but also the, the tone a lot warmer. And so it ended up that my childhood piano achieved my favorite recorded piano sound I've ever had, which is really cool and special. It's like, you know, this piece of my history has a place in the present day, which is really nice. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's something really special, especially with like a lot of the themes of the album. Yeah, and and I and I view instruments in a very particular way because I I'm a little spiritual about it. I think that instruments have souls and each instrument has a different soul and it's unique and special and it, each instrument has something to say, which is why I love have multiple keyboards and multiple guitars and all, all this because every instrument has something different to offer. Interestingly, I know from talking to Tom that he doesn't really view instruments that way. For him, it's it's a tool, you know. It articulates what he has to say, and so he he doesn't keep around like his first guitar or anything like that. It, you know, it's it's just tools for the job. But for me, if I write something and record something on my childhood piano, it's different than if I record it on a piano in a studio, which is different than if I use the Korg, which is different than if I use the Moog. It's all different. And Mm -hmm. everything has a very particular flavor to it that goes beyond what the instrument just sounds like. It's also the feel and the spirit within. So being able to use the childhood piano is like I've never been able to bring that spirit into one of my records before. Uh, This album has a lot to do with mental health and finding like calmness and or balance. Um, I believe Tom wrote the lyrics, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking about what some of those themes like questioning yourself as a musician mean to you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's questioning yourself as a musician and, and what it means to, you know, struggle with the artistic process, but also the process of living your life and all the twists and turns and the peaks and valleys that are inherent in that, whether it's personal, interpersonal, professional, you know, there are all kinds of ways where life can throw you a curveball that really sucks. And so while Tom and I haven't necessarily dealt with one for one, all of the exact same issues, we have dealt with enough similar issues and had enough similar feelings that we resonate with each other very deeply on such topics. And so when I write something musically, that's trying to express something that's really close to me emotionally. It resonates with him in a similar close way because he has had the same or similar emotional experiences. So, you know, whether it's heartbreak or trying to fit in or the passage of time or, or whatever element of the human condition we're tackling, you know, it's the human condition for a reason, you know, it's relatively universal. So, yeah, you know, we it's funny because, you know, the album Satellites had to do with, you know, the the ending of a relationship that Tom was in for a long time. That is well documented on the last few Evergrey albums as well. And I was in a happy relationship at the time, and then the next year that relationship ended, and then I was listening to the album that I'd already done in like a completely different, mm-hmm. you know, frame of mind. It's like, "Oh man, these songs hit so much harder now." <laughs> but but it, but it's like you know it's universal. Tom couldn't have known that he was writing lyrics that would speak to me one year down the road. But you know, 
That's that's the beauty of writing music that is about the human condition is that it's so applicable. Yeah, and almost everybody, if they haven't experienced it yet, will experience something similar in the future. Yeah. The the last question I ask uh, everybody is how has the pandemic affected you as a group and the creation of this album? Well, obviously the pandemic sucks. I mean, there's there's no getting around that. It's an awful situation in many ways. But it's also a situation that gave us time that we would have never had because Tom is a in, you know, regular times, Tom is on the road many, many months of the year with Evergrey and there was no touring for a couple of years, so we have time and we have pent up creative energy that we're not exhausting on a stage. So what do you do if not write? And so what has resulted is probably the most fruitful musical year of both of our lives. And, you know, when this whole pandemic thing hit, I wouldn't have imagined that it could have had such a dramatic silver lining as it did because, you know, like I said, it's, it's it's a horrible thing and it's horrible for so many people. But for all the ways that the pandemic has hurt in various ways, it has also been a blessing. And I think the album exists and came together with the speed that it did because of the pandemic and the time that it afforded us. So, you know, you have to find the silver linings where you can, right? Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Vikram. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, where can people find you? You can find us on, you can find me on all social media platforms, Vikram Shankar Music. You can find Silent Skies, all social media platforms. And I don't know, we're working on a website right now. I don't know if, if by the time you hear this, it'll be up, but silent-skies.com. So check us out. And of course, on the Spotify things, give us a listen. Even if you're skeptical of the idea of music that's not rock or metal, give it a try. You may find it resonates with you. And if not, that's okay, too. All right. Thank you. Right on. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. We would like to thank you so much for listening to this edition of Spotlight. If you enjoyed the episode or learned something new, please subscribe. If you'd like to hear more interviews and get more prog rock content, you can become a special Prognotes patron at patreon.com prognotes. Make sure you join that if you want to ask some of your favorite artists some questions. Also, come join our Discord community, a chat room for all prog rock fans and fans of the show. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook. All of these links are in this episode's description. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of prog rock. The next spotlight will be up on May 17th, and Destin and Drew will be back with another episode on Prognotes feed on the 15th. See you on Discord. Thanks.